episode seven, and I have another breast cancer warrior on today. Lindsay is someone I actually know in person. How weird is that? Not an online relationship. Um, I met her through a local nonprofit that we are both members of called Savannah Influencers. When I first was diagnosed, you know, I've told you guys so many times that I just felt so alone and didn't want to talk about my diagnosis. I wasn't telling a lot of people in the beginning. So when I had found out that another woman in this very small group had been diagnosed with breast cancer as well, I just thought, oh my gosh, there's there's no way. That seems so crazy. But I was very eager to meet Lindsay because I wanted to pick her brain. I just wanted to know everything about her diagnosis. I wanted to know about her treatments. And she gave me so much information. But one thing that was different was she was diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer. And I had never heard of IBC when I was first diagnosed. And so I really wanted her to come on today to educate others about inflammatory breast cancer because it's not something that's talked about. Um, It's not a form of breast cancer that's talked about like every other form of breast cancer. Inflammatory breast cancer is a very rare form of breast cancer in the world of breast cancers, Um, but it's also very aggressive. And so I'm glad that Lindsay's here to talk about it today, especially during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, where not everybody is talking about all the different forms of breast cancer. So thank you, Lindsay, so much for coming on today. I know that we have connected personally and I have seen you face to face and giving you a hug and you have been helping me through um, the early stages of my diagnosis. And So I'm happy for you to be on today and give a completely different perspective. So can you tell me um, or explain the process of you being diagnosed and how IBC or inflammatory breast cancer is different from other breast cancers, which most notably are found with a lump in the breast? Right. Um, My story is I went to three different doctors um, in the fall of 2015. I had a rash on my right breast that was just super, super itchy. And my nipple was like ridiculously itchy, like nothing I would put on it would take the itch away. So that's not what you think when you think of breast cancer, because we're so taught, like, look for a lump, check for a lump. Um, so never did it cross my mind. Like, okay, this is breast cancer. Um, I breastfed both my boys, my youngest, I breastfed for two years. (laughs) Breast cancer does not run in my family. Um, I was 38, so didn't, crossed my mind, you know, that breast cancer would ever happen to me. So, um, I went to a doctor, they were like, Oh, it's just, um, it's eczema or maybe just some type of rash. Here's a topical cream. I was like, okay. So did the topical cream, did not touch the itching at all. Um, went back two weeks later and I was like, well, I was like, it's still, you know, itchy. It's, you know, it's still red. Um, but sometimes it would get lighter. And so then I was like, well, maybe this you know, topical cream is working. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, maybe it's mastitis. Maybe you have residual, you know, breast milk. And I was like, well, it's been almost a year since I'm like, well, here's some antibiotics. Let's just treat it with that and see if that fixes it. I'm like, okay. So two weeks of antibiotics, still nothing. Um, and at this point I had bought some new bras and when I would take my bra off, I would have like an indention, almost like I had a muffin top line, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and then on the right side, um, like near my armpit side, I would have this strange, just looking indention. And I was like, that just does not 
look normal. And I would ask my husband, I'm like, does this look normal? He's like, I don't know. Like it's a boob. He's like, maybe your bra doesn't fit. So then I was like, well, that's true. It's new bra. Maybe it's just too tight or something. Um, so took the second round of antibiotics, still didn't work. So then I was like, I'm just going to go to a different doctor and see what they say. Um, then I get there and they were like, Oh, it's just a yeast infection. I was like, I want to get a yeast infection on my boob. Yeah. Um, so at this point I'm like two months in still, you know, and my, my right breast is keeps getting bigger. And I'm like, that's just, something's not right. So of course I Google and they tell you not to Google, but I Googled. <laughs> so when I Google like red itchy breast or swollen breast, like the first few things that popped up, inflammatory breast cancer. So I looked at the pictures and I was like, well, kind of looks like that, but it doesn't really look like that. But then like the more and more I read about it, I was like, oh my gosh, like it's the worst of breast cancers to get. It's extremely aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only accounts for one to 5% of all breast cancer cases. And I was like, this is so rare. I was like, there's no way that, you know, I have this. Yeah. Um, but as time went on still just kept, uh, you know, I was just so, so tired, but then it was also around the holidays and I was like, you know, I've got two kids, we've got holiday parties, I've, you know, home mother, I've got, you know, weddings that I'm doing. So I just didn't even, you know, think anything about it. Um, and then after the holidays, it still just was, you know, bad and it kept getting worse. And so I finally actually went into a walk-in clinic out here where we live. Um, and the lady that worked there happened to, um, the nurse practitioner, she used to run a women's clinic. And I told her, I said, I've gone to like two different doctors now. I'm like, I've been on antibiotics. I've done creams. I've done lotions. I was like, nothing is helping. I was like, I Googled my symptoms. I was like, and I think I have it's called inflammatory breast cancer. I was like, have you ever heard of that? And she said, actually I have. Um, and yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she goes, and I honestly, she's like, I don't want to scare you. She goes, but it, it might be that she's like, just from looking at you. So they scheduled me within a few days and I go to get a mammogram and I get there and they're like, we don't accept your insurance. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. I was like, really? Why would you set me up to a place that doesn't accept my insurance? So, um, I called and she's like, okay, let's find out who takes your insurance. So then they call me, um, and they say, okay, here, we have an appointment scheduled for you in eight weeks. And they had left a voice message on my machine. And at that point, like everything I read, you know, said, you know, inflammatory breast cancer is aggressive. It spreads quick. You know, you could be dead within two months after diagnosis. So I was like devastated. I was like, what? So yeah, eight weeks. Oh my gosh. And at this point, like I'm thinking, okay, it's already been three months now. Like, you know, oh my gosh. So I called back really early the next morning and I got this woman. I, and I, I wish I knew who she was cause I would hug her neck mm-hmm. and I just burst into tears on the phone. And I was like, I think I have breast cancer. I was like, and my mammograms are for eight weeks and I just really need some help and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, honey, can you come in tomorrow at seven 30 before we open? I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I, um, went in and they did a mammogram, but the thing with, um, IBC is it does not always show up in mammograms. A lot of women have it. And that's why, um, our death rate is so high is because mm-hmm. they go in and get mammograms and like, Oh, you're fine. You don't have breast cancer because they think, okay, you only look for breast cancer on a mammogram. Okay. So they send them on their merry way. And then several months later, boom, you're stage four cancer because it didn't show up in the mammogram. Um, I was lucky that I did have some calcifications okay. in mammogram. So they were like, oh, and I felt bad because I told my husband not to come with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, it's just a mammogram. They won't give me anything that day. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Um, so they, you know, I had my mammogram and then they called me, you know, to go sit in this room. And then like your story, everybody else had gone, everybody else had gone. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here by myself. Yeah. Um, and so then they finally called me back into the room and he's like, we see some, you know, 
abnormalities. He's like, let's get you scheduled for an ultrasound. And we have to do a skin punch biopsy because with IBC, it's in your breast tissue. It's in your skin. Exactly. Uh, was, that was my next question is like, yeah. how do you do a biopsy? So it's a skin punch. What is that? It hurts so bad. Um, they did, it's almost like a, a, they take out a chunk, like an eraser. They stick a little, um, like metal needle and they like twist it and it pulls a chunk of your skin out. So they did okay. like three of those on my breast and it was the most pain. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Um, so they did that and they said, okay, we'll call you with your results in a few days. So the um, clinic called me and me and my husband went in and she was like, you do have breast cancer. Um, but at that point I did not know that it was inflammatory breast cancer. Um, she just really read on the mammogram from the calcifications because my punch biopsy had not been, um, back yet. Okay. So she's like, I'm going to go ahead and get you scheduled with a breast surgeon. So at this point, you know, she's like, I still think it's just early stages. You just have the calcifications. You're going to be fine. Um, so my husband and I go to the breast surgeon mm -hmm. and we walk in and she, you know, is talking to us. So she's like, okay. She's like, so you're stage three IBC. And I was like, what? I oh said, my I gosh. Calcifications. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, she goes, no, she's like, your skin punch biopsy came back. She's like, and you have inflammatory breast cancer, you're stage three. I was like, what? you know, so at that point, like my whole world just fell apart. Absolutely. Um, you know, thinking like my son, um, was actually turning three the next day <laughs> oh. and my, and my oldest was in first grade. So my husband and I were just kind of almost in complete shock mm -hmm. to think like, Oh, it's just a few little calcifications. It's no big deal to go in and say, Oh no, you're, you're stage three breast cancer. So, um, you know, at that point, like, obviously I was devastated. Um, and the next day I was like, how am I going to make it through my son's birthday party with all these people yeah. <laughs> and not, and not lose it. Cause I didn't want to ruin his day, but also like, you know, I'm just in shock and I felt bad cause I literally cried pretty much the whole day, just looking at him, like, is this the last birthday I'm ever going to spend with my oh, child? No. You know, I was yeah. just, you know, cause that's just the things that, you know, you think of. And so it was, a, you know, totally unexpected and, and devastating, obviously. Yeah. So what were, so. once that happened, what were the, or with IBC, is it diff, are the steps different? Is it surgery is not the like go-to, but you still go off of, um, like the hormone receptors, right? Or does treatment not go off of hormone receptors? No, with IBC, because it is in your skin and your lymphatics, um, and usually it's in the lymph nodes too, which is why most you're all, when you're diagnosed with IBC, you're automatically stage three. There's no stage zero, one or two with IBC. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Is, yeah, because it is in your skin and most likely in your lymph nodes at diagnosis. Okay. Which is why, and we also have the highest death rate of all breast cancers. So even though we're only one to five percent of cases, we have a ten percent death rate. Okay. Um, and it's because women usually are not diagnosed until stage four, unfortunately, because there's not enough research out there for doctors, and they just kind of, you know, oh, your mammogram's fine, and then, you know, a few months later, boom, you're stage four cancer because it's spread everywhere. So, um, with IBC, because it is in your skin and your lymphatics, you cannot have a double mastectomy first because they feel like if they open up your skin, then it's just going to spread, you know, throughout your body. Okay. So protocol, whether you're triple positive, triple negative, HER2 positive, ERPR negative, or mm -hmm. ERPR positive, um, you have to do your six months of treatment first. Okay. So whether, you know, so I was like you, I had my Herceptin, Progetta, um, Carboplatin and Taxotere. Um, I did that for six months and then I was scheduled for my double mastectomy and I chose to do, 
um, double just because with IBC, you, um, I know this kind of gets <laughs> to later questions, but with IBC, it's not recommended for you to do reconstruction um, at time of mastectomy because you have to go through such uh, gruesome radiation. Oh, right. Um, so they feel like if you do reconstruction and then you have the radiation, a lot of times your skin just can't handle it, number one. But number two, we have a 60% chance of recurrence within the first two years. So most doctors are like, don't do reconstruction because if you have that high of a chance, that's just, you know, multi- just it's, it's too much. So yeah. they say, let your body heal, reconstruction later. So it's recommended to do one to two years later. Um, and then do, I did 36 rounds of radiation after that. Oh, <laughs> so, oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. Oh, it's just so, it's just so crazy. The difference in, in treatment and surgery and the fact that IBC is not talked about as frequently to me, right. it, it needs to be talked about. It's a cancer that do a self breast exam. And it's always because I found my own lump like you, I would have never thought that, breast cancer could be found any other way. And right. like you said, that's why it is so aggressive because it's in the skin. Whereas for most women, even if they find a lump, it can still be very early stage. It can still be contained within the milk duct. It doesn't, it right. doesn't even mean it broke out. So you can remove that small tumor and you don't have to worry about it. But with IBC, you're supposed to do a non-skin sparring mastectomy. So that means they take all of your breast tissue, all of your skin, and they pull you you know, closed completely flat. That like was there's, be, yep. That was going to be my yeah. next question is how, because it's in the skin, they just try and take as much skin as they can. Right. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So while we're on the subject of surgery, are you still in that waiting period of reconstruction? Have you thought about reconstruction? It's been two years now okay. uh, in August since my mastect- since my double mastectomy, um, and then November will be my two-year mark since I finished radiation. Okay. So technically, if I want to do reconstruction, I can start thinking about it now, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm torn on it because yeah. obviously I missed my breasts. They were a huge part of my identity. I had double Ds, so yeah. <laughs> you know, big double Ds for you know my whole life, and then to now be totally flat chested, it's like a blessing and a curse. I'm like, okay, I'm thankful. Like my back doesn't hurt as much, and I can run now, and I don't have to worry about you know wearing three bras. Yeah, <laughs> but in the same sense, I definitely you know I'm a makeup artist by trade, and I am very feminine, and so now with like my short hair and mm-hmm. no breast, and I feel like I have a Buddha belly, like I look nine months pregnant all the time. So I feel like it would definitely help my emotional state and my physical state to be, you know, to have breast again. Right. But in the same sense with IBC, um, implants are not recommended because it was in your tissue. Um, and so a lot of times when they do, um, try to do expanders because there is so much damage, um, the expanders tear through the skin. So, it's really not recommended. So for me to do reconstruction, I would have to do, um, they have different types of flap procedures. Mm-hmm. So they have like a deep flap or like a tram flap where they take extra fat and skin or extra tissue from different parts of your body. So you could do like your thigh, um, you could do your inner arm or you could do your stomach. Um, and basically for me, because I'm a, a larger gal, um, they would do my stomach. So they would cut me from my belly button to my, like my C-section scar basically. Mm-hmm. And then from hip to hip, they would take all of that skin and that fat and basically build two, um, breast mounds and then pull my stomach down. So it's kind of like a tummy tuck and a breast 
job all at once, okay. which people are like, oh, that sounds great. You get a free tummy tuck. But no, it's a um, huge, I mean, these, a, that's the biggest thing that people don't understand is like a bilateral mastectomy or even just a single mass. These are huge procedures right? Um, with such high risks of infection. Yes. Um, and especially like you're talking about, like with a deep flap or any type of flap reconstruction, the risk of the skin not taking is huge. And even, even if you don't do the deep flap, even if you do, um, tissue expanders or reconstruction, when they close you up, there's not a guarantee that your skin is going to just close up and there's going to be no infection and it's going to look perfect. And it's all these things like there's so much that goes into these surgeries. So like you're saying, it's not a, it's not a tummy tuck or anything. These, that is a massive surgery. Right. And so it's, you know, and the downtime for that is eight to 12 weeks minimum. Wow. Um, and so in my mind, I'm like, I have two children. I'm, I'm like you, I live in a city where I don't have any family for help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's like, can I be, you know, and my husband works, he's gone all day. So he's not military like yours, but he leaves the house at, you know, nine fifteen in the morning, sometimes doesn't get home till eight thirty at night. So I'm mm-hmm. solo parent, you know, majority of the time and he works six days a week. So it's, you know, the idea of, I feel, it's like, I feel horrible because I don't want to take away from my children mm-hmm. or my husband by being selfish and having, you know, this surgery where I'm out of commission for 12 weeks and I have to worry about, you know, I'm like you, I don't want to ask people for help. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I want to be able to take care of my kids. And I feel like at this point, you know, I'm finally trying to get back into my normal routine. I'm trying to be, you know, the best mom that I can be. And if I'm laying up, you know, on the couch or in the bed and I can't walk or I can't go to the bathroom by myself, or I can't pick them up, I can't make dinner. I can't drive like that is a huge, you know, life inconvenience that I just don't know if I want to and then obviously the, the chance of risk or failure of the surgeries is, is super high as well. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a lot to think about. It's a ton to think about, especially after all that you've been through already. And it is kind of like once you start to get into that momentum and that that gray area of life after treatment, but once you start to get going, it's like, do I really want to knock myself back down? But then at the same right. time, it's like, you, you do have this, you have to find this newfound confidence and appreciation for your body the way it is now. Cause it's never going right. to be what it was before. That's at least that's right. how I feel is like, right. Um, learning to accept my new normal, learning to accept the new normal, but also, you know, if, if the, if the reconstruction and the surgery is what would make you feel a little bit whole again, it's kind of like, you got to do it. But I hear right. you where you're like, I have two kids and I don't want to, um, I don't want to uproot their life the way it is now. I don't want to, you know, do anything that's going to make it less than. Um, Right. So uh, speaking of your boys, how have you guys tackled speaking to them about IBC, about breast cancer? Are you, I know that your youngest is, I mean, turning, he turned three when you were diagnosed. So how did you guys talk to them about your diagnosis? Were you open, really open with them? Or was it kind of like, I will, I'll tell you what I think you can handle. I am by trade an open person. I probably tell more than anybody ever wants to know. That's just my personality. <laughs> I'm always, that's how I've always been. People are like, Lindsay. But um, with my, my youngest, obviously was still too little. He didn't really understand what was going on. Um, he just would know. And he actually wasn't very verbal at the time. Um, he was in learning and speech therapy. So he wasn't even very, you know, 
couldn't communicate with me, but he would just go rub my bald head and go, mama sick, mama sick. Um, you know, and my, he would touch my port and go, mama hurt, mama hurt. And then he would like kiss it and say, all better. And I'm like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, but with my oldest, he's very sensitive and very emotional. So I was very concerned with like how he would, you know, feel about the situation. So, um, I talked to my, um, nurse navigator, Mm -hmm. Um, and she gave us some books to read to him. Um, and then there's also, um, I, I don't know if every hospital has this, but I know our hospital had, um, a social worker mm-hmm. that, um, you could take your kids to and talk to them. So we, you know, kind of told him like, mommy's sick, I have an infection in my breast. We're going to have to, mommy's going to take some medicine. It's going to make her hair fall out. She's not going to feel so great. So I'm going to need you to be my big helper around the house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just be very gentle with mommy right now. There's times where I'm not going to be able to go to the park and play. I'm so sorry, but you know, and he was, you know, pretty good about it. Um, and he just kind of got scared because there's also, um, a little girl that lives out where we live that had had uh, brain cancer and she passed away. And so his thing was like, mommy, are you going to die? So like he was yeah. very, you know, that was his first question was like, are you going to die? And I was like, you know, what do you say to, you know, yeah. a seven year old? I don't I was like, I, mommy does, I don't know. I said, I don't want to die. I want to do everything I can to be with you, but I can't promise that that's going to happen. So I feel like he was, you know, completely devastated at that yeah. point. So, um, we took him to the counselor at the hospital Okay. and, um, she, you know, kids can't go to our doctor's appointments with us, right. but she was able to, we went early, you know, before they, when they were first opening. So she was able to take him to the chemo room and she's like, this is where mommy's going to sit. This is where she's going to get her medicine and it's going to make her feel sick sometimes, but it's going to make her better. Um, and then they actually made, it's called a wish box. Mm-hmm. So she let him, um, it was a shoe box and they just kind of decorated it and they wrapped it up or whatever. And she's like, anytime you're sad or scared, she's like, I want you to write down what you're feeling and what your wish is. She's like, and, and your worry, she's like, and put it in the box. She's like, let the box worry about it for you. You don't worry about it yourself. And he was like, okay. Um, and I think that that helped him a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, he kind of was like, okay. And then we also went, um, got him into counseling because I just didn't, you know, I felt horrible that, you know, I don't want to ruin his child. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sick mom, but we found a, a play therapist out here cause he's very artistic. He loves art. So he went to that, um, every two weeks while I was going through, um, treatment and would go talk to her about his feelings just because I felt like he needed it. You know, if he, I didn't want him to like, he couldn't talk to me or my husband, yeah. but if he was scared, I wanted him to be able to tell someone else his, his feelings. So I really, you know, encourage that for people if they have the opportunity, you know, and they're worried about their children to, that's amazing. you know, use that, that resource. I mean, that's, that's so great that you guys recognized his strengths and weaknesses just, or not weaknesses, but just how emotional um, he was. And the fact that then you played into the, his strengths being art and his um, interests. And I think that that's incredible that you guys found that resource. And um, Chris talked about it, like when he was on here and just, just counseling in general that, you know, in a situation like this, it's just, no one knows how to act. Like there is no, there's no manual on the right or wrong way to do this. And so even for kids, I feel like, I feel like that you guys probably gave him so much more comfort going through, um, going through treatment and definitely an outlet for him Mm -hmm. to, to express his feelings and all those kinds of things. And like you said, you don't know what to say to your kids. You don't know that's what I struggled with was trying to get through to them, like the severity of the situation, but also that fine line of not scaring them. 
at the same right. time. Like, so I think that right. is great thing. And I, I definitely, anybody who listens to this podcast and has kids, I think that that's a great resources to find like a play therapy class that they can go to. Um, and, and just have an outlet outside of cancer right. <laughs> essentially. Yeah, so, right. And it was funny whenever my hair, like I, you know, had long hair, it was down past my, you know, it was in this mm-hmm. long as yours, but it was like down past my bra. And so I was paranoid thinking like, I'm not gonna be able to handle being bald. So I went and got this wig that was somewhat similar to my hair. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was funny because my boys would like try it on. They're like, it's my turn (laughs) to be a girl. And so like, I think just being, you know, and I got different scarves and stuff. So I think just being silly with it, you know, as you know, my hair was falling out, like to make it where it's not such a big deal. Like they all tried on the wig or, you know, was being silly. And then, um, when it was, my hair was growing back in, I, you know, dyed it all types of funky colors. Mm -hmm. I did a hot pink and stuff. Um, and we asked, my husband was like, well, I'll shave my head if you want me to. I was like, no, that's okay. Um, (laughs) and then he asked my oldest son, he's like, do you want to shave your head to support mommy? He's like, I have really good hair, dad. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, cause he does have really good hair, but then he decided to, he did want to shave it. And so then we, you know, go in the backyard, we shave his head and I'm like, we're twinsies. Cause he looks just like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next he wakes up, he's like, yeah, I don't think I like this anymore. And I was like, well, good thing your hair grows really quick, buddy. It won't be this short for that long. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, he, we did, um, a Susan G race mm-hmm. here the first year that I was sick. Um, and he, you know, wore a hot pink shirt. We got him, you know, knee socks and I wore a tutu and like, he went and did the race with me. And I think that that, and everybody was telling him like, your mommy's awesome. Your mom, you know, yeah. cause I'd met some of the women that had reached out to me. Um, and I think that that helped him, you know, feel better about the situation and stuff too. So, um, and, and to see all these other women that were survivors that were there, I think that that helped him, you know, a lot as well. So, yeah, that was definitely like Ace's biggest thing was he was like, mom, you know, like do other people's moms go through this? And, you know, mm-hmm. that was hard because it, it was just kind of like in the beginning, when you hear the statistics of, you know, one in eight women develops breast cancer in their lifetime, there was a part of me that was like, you know, yes, other people's moms are going to go through this probably that, you know, but I, of course I didn't want to tell him that like, yes. And then he's going to go to school and be like, oh yeah, did you know your mom will probably get breast cancer too? So I was kind right. of like, okay, well no, like, you know, just, yes, some moms go through this and all that stuff. But I feel like coming out the other end of this and watching my children's interactions now with just people in general, I see that they are so much more accepting and empathetic um, because they knew what it was like to have a mom that looked different and felt different. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were so protective. And I know that you've talked about that with me before is that, you know, our boys looked at us like, you know, we don't want anyone to make fun of you. We don't want anyone to look at you differently. Um, and so they really took that to heart. And that's like, it seems like our oldest are very similar in the fact that they were very, they're just very emotional. And that's how Ace was, Mm. was, and now I look at him and I've, I've seen a change in him where he's just so much more accepting, like to say, mom, I want to go talk to this person or, Mm -hmm. you know, he wants to help because I think he, he took that away from this whole situation. So as bad as it is, it's kind of like, it's a learning experience for, right. for everyone. And there are right. so many good things that can come out of a cancer diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. if you let, if you let it. So with that, and now that you are kind of out a little bit outside of treatment, I want to say that lightly because I know you're still going through, can you explain the treatments that you're on now? 
Um, and then the side effects that you, you have to live with now from surgery, radiation, chemo, everything that you're going through still after active treatment. Um, I am actually on a new drug now. Um, and I really didn't even know anything about it, but with, um, IBC having such a high recurrence rate, I hate that I'm super paranoid now that any little thing that pops up, I'm like, oh my gosh, is my cancer back? Um, so yeah. I feel like I've driven, we have the same oncologist. So I feel like mm-hmm. I've driven him crazy, <laughs> but, um, he, within the last, I think it's like been four months I went in and he was like, okay, there's a new drug out. He's like, you're still under the timeline, like umbrella, like let's, you know, if it helps to reduce your risk, let's, let's do this. So I started taking that, um, two months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely been a struggle cause right. I was like, okay, I felt not normal again, but you know, I was had more energy, was able to do more things. And now I'm like, okay, this is like, I'm back in treatment again. So okay. I'm just exhausted. And you know, it's, it really 100% goes with your whole theme, but you don't look sick because yeah. I don't look sick, but like, I can't, at, you know, eight o'clock, like I'm dead. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to finish cleaning up the kitchen. I don't want to do pack lunches for school tomorrow. Like I am physically exhausted mm-hmm. and my stomach is just, you know, off the chain yeah. and it's, and I've gained weight again. I'm like, seriously, I'm like with as much as I'm in and out of the bathroom, I'm like gaining weight. So, but I just have to tell myself this medicine's only a year. Mm-hmm. Um, some women take medicine for five years. Some women take medicine for 10 years. So, um, you know, for me, it's like, okay, if I can just get this one year under my belt, then, you know, hopefully that'll give me a few more years with my kids. Yep. Um, because that's one thing that is horrible with IBC The usually the life expectancy rate after diagnosis is five years. Oh. Um, So, you know, when you hear that, it's, it's devastating. So it's like, I'm just now at my two year mark. So my, you know, in my mind, I'm like, when is it coming back? When is it coming back? And I hate that, but it's like, I'm in a support group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I first was diagnosed, there's about 500 women in our group and there's almost 900 women in our group now. Um, and so to me, like, that's a huge rise just even in a few years. And also like, I've become so close with so many of these women and there's at least 50 women in the past two years that I've, you know, met online that have passed away that has just, you know, devastated me and, and shaken me to the core so that, you know, is is super scary. So the anxiety that I have now, I I never was an anxious person before I was kind Mm -hmm. of figured, you know, like I'm carefree, whatever, go lucky you know, free spirit kind of girl and the anxiety and just the overwhelming sense of fear that I have now makes me crazy. And I hate that I feel that way, Yeah, Um, but it's not something that you can, you know, and it's like, I'm going to counseling. I'm trying to, you know, get myself together. I'm trying to do positive thoughts. I'm trying to be healthy. And it's some days it's just super overwhelming. Yeah. Um, You know, I feel like, you know, when you're going through cancer, you have all of this access to treatment and you're at the doctors and they're checking on you. But then when you're kind of done with treatment, it's like, okay, you're done. Bye. You lived like, here you go. And it's like, I feel like there's no help for us after diagnosis. Like, you know, we have this mental state now where our whole lives have changed where we've turned upside down. And I feel like going through treatment, you're just in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards it's like, okay, now what, what, what do we do now? So, and I've talked to so many different women and they feel, you know, the same way. It's like, how do you, you know, we have to adjust to this new normal, Mm -hmm of how we're going to, you know, and there's so many things that can happen. So like I have, um, a condition now called lymphedema that I got from my surgery. So they lightly go over stuff with you, you know, before your surgery, but it's not anything that I thought would happen to me, Mm -hmm. but I had 26 lymph nodes removed. Um, 
and I actually had to have two mastectomies, but after my first surgery, my arm hurt. I had so much like nerve pain that I couldn't even lift my arm like to my waist. It hurt Mm -hmm. so bad. It was like excruciating. Uh, but my doctor also did not, I had a really bad, uh, Seroma, is that what it's called? I think that big, I had, I just had a ton of fluid in my chest that wouldn't mm-hmm. go away. Yeah. My drains just obviously were not functioning properly. And she left too much skin and breast tissue. And that made me nervous too. So I had to go back for a second surgery to get all that cleared out. Um, so after my second surgery, I now have lymphedema, which um, is swelling of your, so it's my right arm, which is my dominant arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, my armpit, my chest, my face, my hands are constantly swollen, which sucks because I have to wear compression garments now. Yeah. Um, and they're like, you know, I can never go in a hot tub again. I'm not supposed to take hot showers. I'm not supposed to do hot dishes. I'm not supposed to be out in the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, how am I not going to be in the heat when I have two little boys and I live in South Georgia? Like that's not an option to me. Yep. Um, and you're just super tired and sluggish all the time. So I'm like, been trying to do everything that I can to think of to help my lymphatic system work better. But th- basically from going back and forth to the doctors, they've said that because I do have so much scar tissue um, in my chest and my armpit area that all this fluid that I have from my fingertips to my armpit is just trapped. There, it, just it has nowhere caught. to go. Yep. It can't, yeah, it can't flow. So I do dry brushing all the time. I wear my compression garments all the time. I have this God awful machine that I have to where every night before I go to bed, which is the best time for me to do it. But I have to lay in this, it's like this big Velcro. I look like a Michelin man um, <laughs> machine and I have to like climb into it with my legs and then put my chest in it um, and have to lay still for an hour and a half almost mm-hmm. um, and have my arm elevated. And it does this, like it helps to pump your fluid through your body. Okay. Um, and so like, that's not sexy. Like, hey, husband. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so loud and my kids laugh at me and I've always, I feel like I look like Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street cause it's like just brown. So I like take my arm and I'm like, Hey guys, just to, you know, be silly with it because I look absolutely ridiculous in it. But if I don't do it, like I'm in pain right. um, and it just, right. you know, it's ridiculous. And I, it, that in itself makes me depressed and have anxiety too, because that's the condition that they don't really tell you about. And it's something that never goes away. I will have it for the rest of my life. That's what I was just going to say is that it's important to lay out that lymphedema is not something once it's there. Yes. Like you said, you can, there's all of these therapies that can help at times, but there's nothing that will make it go away. And that's, that's a side effect of surgery that, like you said, is not talked about all the time. And anyone, yes, um, it can happen from the day after surgery and it can happen to you 20 years later. That's something that they don't, you know, tell you, you can even one lymph node removed, you can develop lymphedema. So if you pick up something too heavy or you get a cut or you get a bug bite, um, it can absolutely make it go into effect. And then it's something that never goes away. And so it's like, something that I always have to be cautious about. I have to wear sunscreen. I have to make sure I have bug spray on because if I get, um, with lymphedema, you can get an infection called cellulitis and go septic and die within days. So it's, you know, it's, and with living in the South, like there's bugs everywhere, there's gnats, there's mosquitoes. So, you know, I don't want to be covered up in hot compression garments when it's a hundred degrees outside, but nine out of 10 times I have to, because I'm, I'm in pain or if I get a bug bite, then I don't want to get you know, sick and die. Yeah. It's definitely (laughs) something something that you have to, I mean, I didn't develop 
lymphedema after my surgery. But like you said, it's something that can come up um, at any time. And I have talked to many women who they didn't get it. And I spoke with a woman who said, you know, she said she was like five or seven years outside of her bilateral and she was power washing her house, not thinking that it was going to do really anything. She said, it, you know, I just did a, it was just a small area of my house. And she said the next day she woke up in the morning and her entire arm was just completely blown up. Like she was so swollen and everything. And it's something that I think about, you know, often, and I try and be very cognizant of it. Like if I'm going to go out and I'm going to be out in the heat for a while and I'm going to be running around with the kids, I do wear my compression sleeve, but my hand will swell and I'll run in and I'll be like, okay, I need to elevate. Like I need to try and like yeah. do a lymphatic massage real quick and see if I right. can alleviate. Because like you said, like once it, once it gets started, once that lymph fluid is trapped, it's trapped. There's not really yeah. too much you can do. And I went to physical therapy and I know you've just been through so much physical therapy. Um, I only went for, I think eight weeks after my surgery and they just kind of mm-hmm. gave me like the rundown of this is what you can do because you don't have lymphedema right now. So there for you, it's something that now you have to live with and there's not a cure for it. And it's not a side effect that's readily talked about when you talk about a bilateral mastectomy or even just surgeries in general associated with breast cancer. Right. And it's like when I first, and that so many people, when they Google lymphedema, people and don't know much about it, but there's 10 million Americans that have lymphedema. And that is huge to me. Um, but they're like, oh, you're just fat. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not just fat. It's fluid that's trapped in my arm. So um, like my right arm is 54% bigger than my left arm since diagnosis. It's grown that much. And so if you were just to look at me, you probably wouldn't be able to notice, but if you like really look at me, then you can see the difference. So it's like, you know, not only do I not have breast, like now I have this big fat arm. I call it my big fat arm, but it's like, it's hard to find clothes to fit because this arm is so much bigger. So it's like, I can't wear button up stuff. I have to get usually like, I've been buying sleeveless tops and wearing like little, you know, stretchy cardigans to go over top of it because none of, you know, none of my clothes fit anymore. So it's like, it's just something that, you know, people don't think about every day. Like, Oh, I may not be able to wear any of my wardrobe that I was able to wear before because, you know, my, and so it's like you're, when you exercise, you're not supposed to get hot. So they recommend like water aerobics or like light Mm -hmm. yoga, different things like that. So it's like, you know, I've been doing all these things and it's crazy because if I really get a good like manual massage and, and work on myself, like I can look 10 pounds lighter the next day. And it's just crazy. Like how much fluid that can build up. And it's, you know, in your face and in your arm and in, in your chest, it's insane. Yeah. And it's, it's the whole point of this podcast is, but you don't look sick. And the thing, that's the thing is people think once you're done with active treatment and your hair grows back, that there aren't necessarily these lingering side effects that are still, you know, life altering. And, um, it's not, yeah, it's a big part of it. And I try every day. And even though it's hard, I strive every day to just find the joy in this. And I know for, cause you walk away with your life essentially. And you're just like, okay, everything else that I have to deal with, I'll just try and deal with because I, I walked away with my life at this point. So all of these other side effects, but it's a mental game every day. And it's a mental choice almost, you know, hour to hour to just try and find some type of joy and happiness and normalcy in all of this. And it's not, it's not always easy, especially when, when you're talking like in your case where you have a, not just a physical reminder on your chest, but then you're carrying around physical reminders of fatigue and you're carrying around physical reminders of 
you know, lymphedema and all of these other things that are associated with the treatments in order to save your life. So, I mean, it's a mental game, <laughs> like, right. like going through cancer. Um, with right. that being said, what are some things that you, I know we've talked a lot about, um, things that people probably had no idea I, what IBC was or inflammatory breast cancer. What are some things that you wish people knew about inflammatory breast cancer? Um, that there are so many different, um, symptoms that you can have. So, um, your skin can look like an orange or lemon peel. Like it can just kind of be little tiny indentions, um, that you can have a red, you know, rash on your skin or it can look like a bug bite. Um, it's usually warm to the touch. It's usually painful. And most people say breast cancer isn't painful. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes you may be running a light fever, whether you have your, readiness or not. Um, and by the time I was diagnosed, like mine was double the size of the other one. So wow. okay. that was a huge, yeah. So just, those are s- small symptoms that you can look for. Um, and because IBC is so rare, we actually do not have our own medical code for diagnosis. So really there are many more cases out there, but we just don't, um, know about it. Um, wow. and the sad thing is that, with IBC, there um, there really is no research for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan G and like other big companies like that do not donate any money at all whatsoever to inflammatory breast cancer research, um, and so that is kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. That you know, pr- yes, prevention is great, um, but also like there's all these women with metastatic cancer that there you know there's no cure for. So to me, I feel like, you know, we need to raise more money for yes, you know, yes, prevention, but also we need to raise money for women who are living with cancer so that we can come up with something for them to, you know, live longer or have better quality of life. Absolutely. Um, And then like, there's two organizations I promote and I do stuff with. um, So the inflammatory breast cancer, um, erase IBC, and then also the IBC network. Those are two, you know, independent um, foundations that were started by breast cancer IBC survivors. Um, one of them's a nurse and the other one's a huge advocate. And both of them have raised, I think over a million dollars towards IBC research themselves. They don't take any money. Um, so like 89% of your dollar goes to research and funding and the other 11% goes to, you know, travel cost or going to conferences or, mm-hmm. you know, different things like that. So, um, you know, those two women have made a huge difference just in helping me with my diagnosis, but also, you know, they work closely with MD Anderson in Houston, mm-hmm. um, and Dana Farber in Boston. Um, and I think there's also a doctor in Chicago. So they work very closely with those, um, three hospitals to try and help, you know, IBC, you know, patients and survivors to, you know, get through the next step of, of treatment. So, yeah, because it is, you know, they're trying to get a medical diagnosis code right now so that they can, you know, do more research on it to help um, women that are living with, you know, metastatic cancer and all that's come back. Wow. That, and that, I mean, that brings us full circle to the month of October now that we are in. Right. And I mean, it has to be so hard and so frustrating for women with IBC, for you who the, the majority of this is breast cancer awareness and self, you know, mammograms and self breast exams and all of those things would not have helped you necessarily in your case or would not help women, um, with IBC, which that's why, that is why when I first met you and I first talked to you and you told me about IBC, that was not even on my radar. I had not, that didn't, for me, that didn't come up in Google searches, which is so sad and also so scary because like you said, when, when you get diagnosed with IBC, you're automatically stage three, which 
is, I mean, that is just so scary to have to go through. So what, now that we're in the month of October, it's breast cancer awareness. Um, I'm going to repost the Facebook video that you posted. Um, I'm going to put it in the, in the, but you don't look sick, um, Facebook group because that was such an important video. The slideshow that you did um, about Breast Cancer Awareness Month was so informative, but it was also just so well done. It wasn't like in an attacking way or I hate October or, you know, all of these things. Can you, um, can you elaborate on how you feel about being a breast cancer survivor in October right now? Um, obviously, I never thought anything about it before my diagnosis. I was like, woo you know, and my young self loving my breast, I was all about, you know, save the tatas. Woo. And now as a survivor, I think how horrible that is. Like, I feel so guilty for all the times that I said that or posted anything about that because it's not save the tatas. It's Mm -hmm. save the woman. Say, like you say, save the life. I'm like, save the mom, save the sister, you know, save, you know, it's, it's save our bodies. Like my breasts are just a small part of me, but there's so much more, you know, to it than that. Um, or just, you know, things that, you know, people don't think about they're trying to help, but in, in actuality, it winds up like hurting, you know, our feelings and they don't mean to. And like, same thing with the whole repost the heart on your wall. That makes me, I hate chain letters, first of all, um, but it absolutely drives me insane. And since I even posted my video saying, don't send breast cancer survivors, put a heart on your wall. I've had four different people that I'm friends with send me <laughs> that chain letter. And I had a friend yesterday send me that and I really, and then I sent her a picture of my chest <laughs> and I was like, I don't need awareness because I'm aware every time I look in the mirror. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And I was like, you just caught me on a bad day, girl. But it, you know, it's just, that's not going to spread awareness to, yeah. you know, put a heart on your wall. Like we all, we all should know to check our breast, obviously, but if I don't have any breasts, then there's nothing for me to check. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, I want people to, to consciously think about where, you know, buying, buying that pink keychain at the checkout is any money going to, you know, breast cancer research or is it, you know, just to buy a pink keychain because, you know, if you really want to help breast cancer survivors look to where your money is going. Yeah. Um, and I know I said, Susan G doesn't donate anything to, um, IBC, but our local chapter here has been super wonderful to me. Um, and it is, um, you know, what's raised here stays here. Mm-hmm. Um, actually I'm going to start doing some public speaking for them. I went to a training last week and I did learn a lot about our local chapter that is independently run. And the majority of money does go to, you know, helping women here in our community, which I think is really great. So as much as I'm an advocate for, I think IBC needs research. I also feel like I need to help Susan G learn about IBC. So my goal is to be able to speak in a platform here in Savannah to spread the awareness about IBC. So I kind of want to maybe see if I can flip the page a little bit for them so that they can, you know, I feel like if they can learn more about it and I can spread the word, then, you know, I'm going to do some kind of good. So that's been my whole platform since I have been diagnosed is to tell anybody and everybody that I can, um, every day of the year, not just in October about breast cancer awareness. Like I, you know, want to help other women, um, and, you know, spread the word. So not just in Pinktober, but whenever I can. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how I feel is just because I knew nothing about breast cancer before I was diagnosed because I had no family history because nobody close to me had gone through a breast cancer diagnosis. Um, I was so naive to the disease, you know, people going through chemotherapy and stuff like that, but I had absolutely no idea everything that somebody went through and 
with a diagnosis and now that I'm still going through it and a year out and I'll be on medication for the next 10 years and then having to make other decisions about my body being young with breast cancer, like, you know, your, your chances of ovarian cancer go up or your chances of uterine cancer go up. And so now you have all of these other factors that you never thought of before. And you're just kind of like, what in the hell? And that's how I feel. And I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record talking about breast cancer all the time. But then at the same part, I'm like, man, I wish I would have just run into one person who who would have brought up breast cancer, regardless if I had listened to it or not. I just wish that I knew more about breast cancer. When I found my lump, that was, I think, like the first time I'd ever given myself a self-breast exam. I didn't know to do those things. I always just thought it was something when I go and get my pap smear or I go and see like my doctor, that's something that they will do because it's just, it's just out there that it's like, you'll get a mammogram, you know, in your forties. And now I've met so many women in their twenties and thirties that have been diagnosed with breast cancer that I'm like, how are we still pushing mammograms and just awareness. Like there needs to be so much more research done. And then just learning from you right now about how much is not being researched and how for IBC, I'm just like, this is, this is the reason, (laughs) like, this is why we need to be talking about it. This is why we need to keep pushing. So I think that that's so great that you're getting involved locally to spread awareness about IBC, because I know for me, that was not something that was brought up and it's not even something that's easily found on a Google search. So I think that you are a huge voice in this community, even through everything that you've been through. So thankful to know you. Um, and I'm so thankful for all of your advice. Cause we've gone through many of the same, um, treatments and you always gave me the real raw, no shit. This, this is, this is what this drug does. And I really do right. appreciate that because I didn't want any of the fluff. And, um, I really do feel like you, you gave that to me. And I, and I think that that is a huge part of you doing speaking engagements is that you're going to tell people, this is the real deal. This is not an easy cancer. This isn't the good cancer. It sure as hell is not the pretty cancer to to get. There's nothing pretty about cancer at all. Yeah. There's nothing. This isn't, you can't mask it with the color pink. And so I'm just, I thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to um, share your story and everything that you've learned throughout this and just sharing that knowledge to other people that could possibly find themselves in this position. My pleasure. (laughs) 